The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. Kind of attractive as, an, as a proxy for end-stage disease because about 97% of knee replacements are performed for knee osteoarthritis. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call focuses on a recent article titled Association of Low-Dose Coltracine with Incidence of Knee and Hip Replacements, Exploratory Analyses from a Randomized Controlled Double-Blind Trial. It echoes findings from a previous Annals article titled Effects of Interleukon-1 Inhibition on Incident Hip and Knee Replacement, Exploratory Analyses from a Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Trial. Joining us on the podcast is Dr. Tahina Nioji. She's professor of medicine at Boston University, Chibanian and Avedisian School of Medicine. She's a rheumatologist and epidemiologist whose research focuses primarily on risk factors for knee osteoarthritis and gout and pain mechanisms in knee osteoarthritis. I believe you're going to learn a lot from this podcast, and thank you so much for listening to our podcast. So, Hina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I was fascinated uh, when I first read this article that we're going to discuss, low-dose coltracine and incident uh, knee and hip replacements. And uh, when I was communicating with you, you pointed out to me that in some ways it's very similar to another study that had been in the Annals of Internal Medicine on interleukon-1 inhibition and how that affected hip and knee replacement. So maybe we could start by, by describing the current study and then talk about the Canto study. Uh, so why don't you tell me sort of a quick analysis for the listeners about the low-dose colchicine study? Sure. So the low-dose colchicine study, or LODOCO2, was a large uh, cardiovascular trial. So individuals were enrolled in the trial who had stable chronic cardiovascular disease, and they were uh, randomized to colchicine 0.5 milligrams daily versus placebo. And in terms of this particular paper, they observed that people, the, the people who were randomized to colchicine had a lower incidence of total knee or hip replacement over the course of the trial, about on average two and a half years or so, uh, versus placebo. So the absolute incidence rates was about 0.9 versus 1.4 per 100 person years. The placebo arm versus colchicine arm was 
3.5% versus 2.5%. But after accounting for the time followed, et cetera, it was about a 30% risk reduction. So uh, quite a sizable difference from um, the hazard ratio. Although, as I said, the absolute percentages, et cetera, don't seem as impressive. However, if you consider the fact that Osteoarthritis is the most common form of arthritis worldwide. Over half a billion people worldwide have osteoarthritis. And right now in the US, osteoarthritis is the third leading hospital discharge diagnosis because of the number of elective joint replacements. A small difference in, in joint replacement in such a trial will actually have a big public health impact. So uh, one of the first things when we were uh, communicating ahead of time is you thought that this looking at this study in this way, and we'll go back to the study, might have been stimulated by the Canto study, which is a study of an interleukon-1 inhibitor. So maybe you could talk about that study, how you thought about that study, and how that study might have had some impact on this study. Sure. So the, the Canto's trial was another cardiovascular trial, that had about 10,000 people, whereas this Lodoco trial had about 5,000 people. Um, and the Cantos trial studied kenakinumab, which is an IL-1 beta inhibitor. And it was actually interesting. When you looked at the New England Journal of Medicine publication of the original Cantos trial, and you look at the safety data, you could see in that table that there was lower uh, reporting of gout, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, all of the arthritis conditions. And then subsequently, they did a post hoc analysis similar to Lodoco 2, in which they were able to demonstrate that in all of the kenikinumab doses, uh, the, the intervention arms, they all had a lower risk of hip or knee replacement compared with placebo. And the uh, hazard ratio was about 0.6, so about a 40% risk reduction. So similar to the colchicine trial, now kenikinumab has a you know, very specific IL-1 beta inhibitor, and colchicine has a, a variety of different mechanisms of action, but one of them that is in particular thought to be of relevance here is that it can inhibit the NALP3 inflammasome, which then prevents um, elaboration of interleukin-1 beta, the same target as kenikinumab. This is getting fascinating to me because I've always thought of osteoarthritis as a non-inflammatory disease. And now you're you're telling me the things that influence inflammation might have some influence on osteoarthritis. How do we put that together? The term non-inflammatory is a misnomer. It's just less inflammatory. So for those that are clinicians, and many, many primary care physicians take care of patients with osteoarthritis, they will have seen patients with a swollen knee. There's an effusion there. That's a sign of inflammation. And on imaging, if you do ultrasound or MRI, you will almost universally find some evidence of inflammation, effusion or synovitis. It's just that the degree of inflammation is not the same as rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, et cetera. So that's one thing. It's a misnomer. Um, and it is a disease of the whole joint. And we know that, broadly speaking, osteoarthritis is a reflection of the repair mechanisms not being able to keep up with the damage mechanisms. And cytokines play an important role in all of that. 
Okay, so that helps me. What do rheumatologists think of knee and hip replacement as a proxy, as an outcome measure? Because when I first thought of it, I said, that's sort of a strange outcome measure. Is it really? Yeah, so this is very controversial um, because there are many, many trials to date in osteoarthritis that have failed to show an improvement in outcomes. And one of the questions is whether or not we're using the right outcomes and the duration of trials for osteoarthritis, which is generally a slow progressive disease, are we really able to detect the changes uh, um, over a short period of time? And so the knee replacement is kind of attractive as as a proxy for end-stage disease because about 97% of knee replacements are performed for knee osteoarthritis. The hip is a little murkier because there's obviously hip fractures leading to hip replacement, but nonetheless, the majority of hip replacements are also for hip OA, just not, you know, almost as uh, universal for as for knee OA and knee replacement. So it is an attractive outcome. However, we know that there's patient preferences, medical comorbidities, surgeon preferences, et cetera, that influence um, the decision about joint replacement. And then of course there's insurance coverage. So it's not a perfect proxy outcome, but it is one that has garnered a lot of interest. The challenge here is interpretation. When someone is going for joint replacement, it's usually driven by their symptoms. And so in the LODOCO2 trial of colchicine and Cantos trial of kenikinumab, We don't know if that lower frequency of joint replacement is because symptoms improved or symptoms plus structure improved. And that's a big, big important question um, because especially from a regulatory perspective of thinking about drug approval, one can't be considered a disease modifying agent for osteoarthritis without demonstrating structural improvement. But from a patient perspective, having your symptoms improve, regardless of whether it's structure or structures plus symptoms, is still compelling because so many people do not have viable management options for their osteoarthritis to manage their symptoms. I did a podcast uh, from the Cantos trial on the decrease in gout. Okay, yeah. Uh, 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 Gouty attacks. Yeah. How much concern is there that maybe we're not treating osteoarthritis in these, but maybe there's either occult gout or occult CPPD yeah. that is causes a little bit more inflammation, but we don't pick it up, especially CPPD is really hard to pick up. Exactly. Well, this is a, a pet research interest of mine, the intersection of crystal arthritis and osteoarthritis. So I think with low doco too, they made a specific attempt at excluding people who had gout at the time of trial entry, and they still found similar results. Still, it doesn't mean that someone couldn't have had undiagnosed gout, but it would be very unusual to have that much gout that it leads to that much reduction in joint replacement, especially as I said, 97% of knee replacements are for knee osteoarthritis. I think the bigger question is calcium crystal deposits. So we know that at end stage of osteoarthritis, calcium crystal deposition is almost universal. And it is still a controversy as to whether or not those calcium crystals 
are causing any problems in osteoarthritis? Do they contribute to symptoms? Do they contribute to structural deterioration? And that is an area of active research for my group right now, um, where we've been doing dual energy CT scans of knees and trying to identify calcium mineral deposition and whether it's contributing to their knee symptoms and to structural deterioration. And we just had a paper accepted on the, on the knee pains part of that story where we did find that mineralization uh, noted on CT was associated with increased risk of pain and pain worsening. So it's very possible that in these trials, we're identifying a phenotype of osteoarthritis in which there's more inflammation potentially related to intraarticular mineralization. And I think this is a really, these two studies are really important for us to understand because they're the only two studies that have really been positive for the intervening in this way. And I think what's been happening in osteoarthritis trials is often our early stage trials are too small and their duration is too short. And so when you've got a heterogeneous group of people with osteoarthritis of many different pathways leading to that phenotype, targeting one molecule or one pathway may not be effective unless you are able to properly identify the subgroup of people who would most benefit from target that target. And I think the CANTOS trial and the LODOCO2 trial were able to find the signal despite the noise because of their sheer size and the long duration of the trial. Let me ask a challenging question here. I think what you're trying to tell me, what I, what I hear, is that osteoarthritis is not one thing. Osteoarthritis is in a number of things. And some people don't have very much inflammation, and then they have moderate inflammation or even a whole lot more inflammation. Is there any way currently in looking at osteoarthritis, short of what you're doing with dual energy CT, and I assume that that's that you have to change the energy because uh, I've, I'm familiar with dual, dual energy CT to diagnose acute gout, but I assume you have to have different energies to find the calcium crystals. So it's the same um, dual voltage and you can differentiate urate from calcium. And there's more advanced technologies now that's attempting to differentiate CPPD from BCP. So uh, we're not quite there at clinically. I think where these trials would have been helpful for us is if they obviously hindsight, right? Um, if they had imaging or some other way for us to understand, was there any evidence of mineralization in the joint or any other signs of inflammation in the joint, that would be very helpful. So I think moving forward, these two studies show have shown us some promise and we need to better understand who would benefit from these types of treatments. So I think the next step of this of a study would need to be having prospective baseline information gathered uh, in a trial to then try to understand who are who are these responders, whether it's mineralization, whether it's synovitis, effusion. Um, you know, we just can't tell from these two trials who out of that group should be targeted. Is the thought that that osteoarthritis is a multiplicity of diseases and not just one disease, is, uh, is, is that a current feeling amongst rheumatologists? Yeah, so I, I 
I won't claim to speak for all rheumatologists since not all rheumatologists are necessarily that uh, interested in osteoarthritis, but of the osteoarthritis community, definitely I would say that there is a an effort to understand the earliest stages of osteoarthritis and what are the different pathways and mechanisms that are leading to this construct of clinical osteoarthritis that we see. I, you know, I think we recognize that by the time we're seeing um, established osteoarthritis on x-rays, that disease has been going on for quite some time. And so what we're seeing there is kind of, you know, a manifestation of something that's been going on for years, and there are different pathways that led to that manifestation. So in 2023, my primary care colleagues, what should they take from, from this discussion? From this discussion, I would first like to you know, put in a plug for evidence-based management of osteoarthritis and making sure that we do some of the basics that are really not being done for patients with osteoarthritis. So for those that have symptoms and they're going to their physicians for help, first, if they're obese or overweight, to address weight, since um, obesity is one of the strongest risk factors for osteoarthritis and its progression, address physical activity and refer to physical therapy. Those are some very low-hanging fruit, but unfortunately, most patients are not receiving that level of evidence-based management. And then in terms of symptom management, um, again, there's you know treatment guidelines that help that, that help provide suggestions for what are appropriate things to consider for patients. For this particular trial, LODOCO2, obviously colchicine is already available on the market. Now, of course, with this, um, the FDA approval for LODOCO uh, is going to probably uh, cause a price increase again for colchicine, but regardless, you know, whether it's 0.5 or 0.6 milligrams, I think where I would see this in my practice as a consideration is for someone in whom I've tried all of the recommendations and treatment guidelines, they're still having symptoms. And if I see chondrocalcinosis on radiograph, that might be an, an individual in whom I might say, hey, let's try colchicine, even though you know it would be off-label at this point. But um, I think this is not something that we would be using for every patient with osteoarthritis. I also you know, just want to uh, go back to some older, smaller trials of colchicine where they tested 0.5 twice daily. And what's key here in LODOCO2 is just 1.5 milligram once daily. So we don't necessarily need to try to have a higher dose where there might be more side effects. But again, this is not something I would say that every patient with osteoarthritis should, should be tried on. Have you personally tried that yet? Have you tried colchicine? I have for hand osteoarthritis. I have not yet for knee osteoarthritis. And I think um, once I'm back in the clinic and I am uh, you know, find, encountering a patient where we're struggling to have their symptoms managed, I think I will be looking carefully at their radiographs to see if there's evidence of chondrocalcinosis and say this might be something we should consider for that individual and or someone who has recurrent effusions. Um, because again, we don't know what the phenotype is here that for which the signal was found in these two trials. Well, Tahina, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast. 
I feel like I have such a more sophisticated understanding of osteoarthritis and why these particular anti-inflammatories, which are different than the anti-inflammatories we normally use, might make a difference. Uh, so as your discussion was brilliant, and I thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I enjoyed this. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This discussion of the association of both uh, canakinumab and low-dose colchicine for heart disease both showed a decrease in knee and hip replacement. Since almost all knee replacements are due to osteoarthritis, in some ways this is a marker for perhaps these two medications are decreasing some of the inflammatory process in osteoarthritis. As Dr. Neoji explained beautifully, osteoarthritis does have an inflammatory component and is probably not just one phenotype. Uh, there are several phenotypes of osteoarthritis, some of which might be associated with calcium pyrophosphate deposition. Some of them have enough inflammation to cause uh, synovitis and knee swelling. And perhaps through these studies, we now have new hypotheses of how we might impact uh, severe, painful osteoarthritis. This is not a randomized controlled trial designed just for osteoarthritis, but rather an analysis that was done based upon studies done for heart disease. We hope that this discussion has helped you better understand what's going on with osteoarthritis and made you think long-term about approaches that we may be taking in the future. We can't thank you enough for listening to our podcast. Thanks so much. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.